You are now listening to The Open Canvas. This is Taj Alexander. I'm here at the Staple Showroom in Midtown Manhattan. I'm here with a very special guest. I'm honored to be here. I'm glad that Staple and the family here has opened the doors to me. Shout out to Erica. This person is the essence of what a creative is, but also someone who understands the purpose and the business behind his creativity. So without any further ado, I'll let you introduce yourself, man. My name is Courtney Walker, design director at Staple, a creator, a creative person that touches a lot of different things. I'm behind that computer screen, knocking out designs. Nice. So, so where are you from, man? Originally, I'm from Miami, and I miss home, but I love New York. How long have you been in New York? I came to New York, I want to say 1997. It was a cool experience for me. It was a little bit of a culture shock, mm-hmm. visually. When I was in middle school, I came with my arts class. For some reason, it was just yellow. It was like so many cabs and taxis. Mm. And <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Before when I came up in middle school, I felt like it was more Times Square lights. My school was East Village. I went to Cooper Union. Okay. It was just a weird experience when I first got here, but it grew on me, mm. you know, in a nice way. To learn the city, just walk up certain avenues mm. and come back. My friend told me it was on the grid system, so I figured I'll just walk straight up the line, the furthest I can go, and then come back. Learning about the city through that way and going to pizza joints, you know, you get hungry on a walk. Yeah. Just going into a local pizza joint, getting a pizza and a soda, that was everything for me. And I did that to like Alphabet City, Lower East Side, East Village, Chinatown. When I would go uptown, I just felt like it wasn't for me. Mm. So then I just started going downtown more. West Village, Greenwich, Chelsea. Those were my spots where I was like, this place is kind of cool. I like this. New York is made to wander. Yeah. Like, when you walk through all those different neighborhoods you mentioned, you see the neighborhoods change as you go up. Mm -hmm. Like, as you walk down the same street, like, you can walk all the way downtown Broadway and go all the way up to Washington Heights, and, like, you'll see everything change. Yeah. You'll see so many different worlds and sights and sounds that sort of, you know, just add to who you are. You know, you're like, wow, there's more to the world out here than just my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. You know, so... So what was that like for you? Cool thing for me was, too, it was almost like time traveling. I didn't realize, one, how much time had passed going from 8th Street all the way to, like, I don't know, 86. Because you're just so enamored with imagery. Yeah. In the blocks, when you're going up by streets versus avenues, they're kind of short. So you're time traveling in the sense where time just kind of, like, bow, flies. And then, too, just the history of New York. You're time traveling, seeing different eras of New York. You're seeing certain blocks that are being redeveloped with the scaffolding, new stuff going up, new stuff, come, old stuff coming down, old clubs that you may have heard about. And that was a cool experience for me. Culturally, too, just like you said, you'll be on one block. Block that I was on, we first got to New York and we first got to where my dorms were. So I was with my mom and my dad, knocking on these doors. We're lost. Yeah. It's heroin addicts shooting up in the, the cut. Mm. There's a Kim's Mondo video. Like, Astor Place was real grimy and raw. shady. It was raw. Yeah. 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 Munchies, you saw like people with like leather jacket on and all this like punk kind of hair and stuff. And my mom, she was just like, 
oh no, you are not staying <laughs> here. We're going back to the hotel. I'm like, nah, nah just keep looking. Mm. Walking up from East Village to say like Union Square, two totally different things. Yeah. And then from Union Square, 14th Street to say like 23rd, two different things. Like you start seeing more business suits and stuff. Union Square just felt like this weird sort of merging of NYU, New York City, yeah. and like corporate America. All those things intersected there. Everything had to go. I didn't like it. So I stopped kind of going in that area. Then yeah. I started going to um, Washington Square Park. Yeah. Cause it was like, it stopped being college for me. Like I felt like, okay, New York, you really don't have a campus. Right. The city is your campus. So when I felt like the campus sort of ended and it became working people, soups and stuff, I'm like, ah, this ain't my crowd right here. Yeah, yeah. So then I started going to like Washington Square Park and that's where I felt like, okay, mm-hmm. this is more of my vibe. This is more of where all the college kids are. This is where the culture is. Even on West 4th, there was like this, this store called House of Nubian. And I kind of just gravitated to that store. I started finding different retail spots that mm-hmm. just spoke to me. Being a black kid in New York mm-hmm. and trying to find your niche, your little hole in the wall yeah that was the first stop and then there was this other spot down the street from now i want to say it was fat beats they sold like consignment t-shirts vinyl records mixtapes like cassette tapes store yeah Yeah, so i was like all right i could find like cool little treasure holes over here and get into stuff so that became like my little niche where I first sort of like planted roots in New York City. I was like, all right, this is mine. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy, man. So (laughs) like during this time, like what was like your main outlet of expression? It was hard, it was difficult Mm. because not only am I still finding my voice creatively, you know, I'm trying to find my place in a city that's not my home. You know, New York has a very distinct identity. We have talking, we have dress, food, everything is distinct and there's so many different sex of people who are claiming their their culture and i was very different coming to new york you know i was <laughs> i'm from miami right i spoke different i didn't realize that i spoke different until yeah i'm talking to some people in school and they're like why you talk like that <laughs> you know i was saying boy like, look at this boy right here yeah. i didn't realize it until people you know called it out to me like this dude just started laughing he was like man you sound so southern uh, and i was yeah. like oh okay Cause you're not, mm. you know. So that was another kind of shock for me, and getting used to like I would wear Nike nylon pants rolled up. LL Cool J wore it too, but for some reason when I did it, it was weird. It was different, yeah. Cause I had my socks like to the center of my calf. Right. I was wearing J's, mm-hmm. and I was wearing. A, I wasn't that far from what was going on here, but it was different enough where people, when they saw me in the street, they was like, he ain't from here. The swag's a little different. A little different. And yeah. they, they pointed it out quick. <laughs> right, right. Quick. And they were let, like, you, let you know. Yeah. <laughs> where you from? <laughs> Why are you even asking me that? So, I mean, for me, creatively, it took a minute. I had some African roommates that I would, like, talk to. It was in Cooper Union wasn't filled with black people. You know, it was a small school to begin with. You came into a small class, and they had to diversify. So in my class, freshman year, it was probably like four black kids. I really didn't connect with those black kids because they came from different parts of the, the country. Mm-hmm. And it was just a weird, it took a minute for me to find mm-hmm. 
my wavelength. I think that's a, a great point because those who may be outside of black culture, they may generalize and think like if you're black, you just fit within all black people, but they don't realize there's such a range of what it means to be a black male, a black woman. And there's so many interest friend groups or cultural differences within the black diaspora that you can't really just label being black one thing or just being your identity just being one thing. A hundred. The first true connections I had where I was like, this feels like home was some friends I met from um, California, Berkeley, the Bay Area. They were one floor above my dorm room. I met them through a, a black kid who was an RA at the time, mm-hmm. and I had to go up there. And I heard them playing some music that was familiar, mm-hmm. and some smells that were familiar as far as food, oils, you know, it was just, yeah. and it was this chunky white Jewish kid named Shane, whom I love to this day, he's my brother. This other, um, this other kid, Tark, was up there, black from Fort Lauderdale, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and this Asian kid, Doug. Me, Shane, and Tar, we kind of connected. It felt like home. Yeah. And from there, we, the older we got, the sophomore, junior year, moved to Brooklyn. It just became home. Like, they, we had different apartments, but we always connected. We always sort of like congregated at Shane's place and started meeting kids from Parsons, SVA, Pratt. And then that became my new community of like creative types. And that's when I started feeling like this is my creative vibe. Yeah. Like that's when I started feeling connected to New York City. Wow. So what, what was life like then? That was Bed-Stuy and Fort Greene before it's Fort Greene Bed-Stuy today. Right. So that was, I want to say, 98, 99, 2000, early odds. And being on Marcus Garvey Boulevard, North Trent Avenue, you know, seeing Juve, you know, I lived right above the club. Mm-hmm. And every Friday night, it was crazy. It was just like something going on, you know, trying to get pick up girls. Yeah. You know, it's a let out. I was in the, the midst of my people, mm-hmm. you know, it was it was a beautiful thing. And when I was connecting with my friends, it was us going to this spot called a five spot. It was a beautiful jazz spot. They had different music every night. Beautiful people were going there of different races. It was mostly black, but it was still diversified. Yeah. And we were going there and listening to music and just, you know, I felt like I was coming into my own as an adult man, a young adult man. And it was aspirational to me because these are the kids that I'm seeing. You know, one year they were right next to me in the computer lab. Next, they're art directors at RCA or Sony, you know, doing some dope stuff. And I'm like, all right, one more year. And this is when the internet was popping. Mm. The internet had just started everybody. Internet money was just dope money. Yeah, yeah. You don't get it now where someone graduates from school and they're art director right away. Right. So I was seeing this and I'm like, man, this is amazing. My friends were inviting me to parties that were industry parties. I had a friend I was working at Fat Farm at the time. Mm. He was like, yo man, let's go to this party downtown. They had this spot, uh, Kimora Lee, she doing her, her jewelry line with plastic and diamonds. I'm like, that sounds crazy, but I'm gonna go. And I would be at these parties and it was surreal because you see, you know, Kimora Lee coming out with like this amazing sort of like see-through sheer kind of dress and yeah. all these like black people that industry people mingling with college kids, mingling with like, so to me it was like surreal. My friend had VIP in this section where you know, we all just up there just drinking for free. 
looking at all these beautiful people mingled together. I'm like, this is this ain't work. This ain't life. <laughs> like you was just with me in the computer lab, <laughs> knocking out your assignment. You doing this now? <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> to me, I guess that was the excitement of New York City. Mm. You know, I was like. This is what it's like. I get goosebumps talking about it now. Yeah. You know, we were in a dirty Honda going to the Hamptons <laughs> to party with millionaires. Mm. We were like five deep in this broke down raggedy green Honda hatchback, <laughs> piled up, yeah. going to see some rich people party in the Hamptons. And it was just like, is this is this what life is like mm. when you're working? Like, is, this is fun. So it was one of those things where I said to myself, this is something I can definitely do. Yeah. And I had this, my dad told me when I was young, he, I was in high school. He was like a orderly at a hospital. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he was getting ready for work one day. It was early in the morning. I'm getting ready for school. And he was like, son, whatever you do in life, make sure you have fun doing it. Make sure you wake up every morning happy to go to work. You know, he obviously was speaking from his own experience. Mm -hmm. You know, who is getting excited to clean up blood in the hospital every day that rang true to me and when i was seeing kids young black men out in the hamptons wilding out and partying having fun to me that was like okay this is what he was talking about mm. make sure you're doing something like this yeah wow for me it wasn't hard to make that jump from all right this is the path yeah exactly you know exactly going out to the hamptons experiencing mm. this new type of life you know where you have creatives um, or even just people in the fashion industry partying and just experiencing life with them. Did that set something off in you and saying, okay, like this is the, the new direction that I want to take. Like I see where my life can go. Yeah, I thought I was going to be rich. <laughs> <laughs> off the rip, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, they rich, I'm going to be rich. We all going to get money. <laughs> it just felt fun. The energy felt good. To me, the biggest aspect of it was the fun part and how casual everyone was. It didn't feel like a company. You know, like it didn't feel like a corporate party. Yeah, Russell being one of the forefathers of, of hip hop, when it comes to like corporate, the corporate side of it and making a business out of it, to be connected to that in the beginning of my career and seeing that visual, subconsciously, it's, it's a lot to see a black man doing that, mm -hmm. you know? I think there was a subconscious element to it that played a huge part in me being like, you know what? I can see me being this dude. It's like attainable now. It's not like just this mythical person that just happened to become successful. It's like, no, you can see the steps that he took to get here yeah. and the reason why he's there now. And it's hip hop. I thought I was gonna do magazines. I was really into the Fader, the Source, Double XL at the time. I thought I was gonna do my own magazine. Trace was a dope magazine publication. And it was just like a lot of interesting publications that were coming out at the time that I wanted to be a part of and, and work for. So as fun as that looked, I still was kind of like more focused on graphics when it came to publications. It was like a weird sort of like push and pull yeah. for me. Yeah. It was all hip hop. I didn't know I was going to end up doing fashion. So falling into that was pretty interesting. So what type of hip hop were you gravitating towards? For me, hip hop was really about the lifestyle you was living. Mm. My wife, girlfriend at the time, was into Tupac mm -hmm. and a whole bunch of like gangster rap. 
And I'm like, why do you listen to that? That's not your life. <laughs> you know, like, you're not out here game banking. Why are you listening to that? I was more into Farside, Souls of Mischief, Black Star, obviously Tribe. You know, I was into people that was having fun and living a lifestyle and talking about stuff that made sense to me. Yeah. You know, as you can see, the running theme in my life is fun. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. You yeah, know, like, yeah. if it was fun, if it was positive energy, good vibes, happiness, I was there. Yeah. You know, I mean, honestly, that's probably what kind of got me into fashion, too, because when I was working at the publication company it was uh, it's called Freeman Fairfax they were a coffee table publishing company so they would make books that essentially you just kept on your coffee table right how to make a cocktail interesting places to travel to the people that were there were cool I met this one dude Charles who was dope he gave me a lot of great advice and was one of the people that was like you know what if you can find a job that pays you a decent amount of money we had this um idea to create this magazine called propaganda so we were into like all this black righteousness and social we were the pre-social justice warriors before social justice warriors even came out yeah yeah so <laughs> like i said my friends were from berkeley so they had that dna in them too he was a black panther this dude charles and he was he saw what we were doing and he was like look man i'm all for you guys doing this but you're gonna get to a point where you're gonna want to earn money you're gonna get to a point where your skills are gonna need to pay bills. So make sure you keep that in mind. This is all great, but make sure you keep that in mind. And I went out to his house one day. He was living in Jersey. He was an older dude, maybe like 55. You know, he was a cool, cool dude, man. He had a girlfriend. He wasn't married with kids. Um, he brought me to his house. He had a condo in Edgewater. Took me upstairs, showed me the layout of his home. His girlfriend was in there cooking some, some lemon fish. He had jazz playing. And I was like, you know, that's a total difference from Russell and what he was doing in the Hamptons. This to me was like, all right, this is what it might actually look like. <laughs> this is realistic. Yeah. So, but it was cool. Like, I felt the whole vibe. Mm. He took me up to his attic and he showed me, like, all this black art that he had bought. And I was like, this is legit. Mm -hmm. He ain't poor. He ain't rich. But this is, like, right in the middle. This might be where it's at. Yeah. So, he had a conversation with me and my friend Omar at the time. And he was just like really putting game on us and he was like look this is the reality of what the world is omar was puerto rican i was black he was like life is hard it's hard out there in the game for creative types when you find something know that it can end at any time keep your portfolio up today i mean he was just like dropping knowledge but then he went on to like he just started talking to us about music art and I was like, this dude's so cultured, man. Mm -hmm. I was like, I love this. Yeah. Like, I need to know all these artists that he knows. I need to know about music like he knows. Like, I don't need to just know about jazz. I mean, hip-hop and R&B. Like, I need to expand my horizons. Mm -hmm. And he kind of was like the domino effect that kind of got me into, like, jazz I got into. He introduced me to Pharaoh Sanders, mm -hmm. who's like this crazy jazz musician. And from there, we were listening to... um this album called Karma. And there's only two songs on the album. Okay. The creator has a master plan and, but it's a short song. Yeah. It's a yeah. dope album. Yeah. And we sat there in his apartment for a good 35 minutes, not even talking. We were just listening to this album. His girlfriend was kind of like, listen to the tambourine on this. Listen to the snare. <laughs> He's gonna start yodeling. Yeah. And I was like, yo, these these are some different black people, man. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it, it kind of just 
shifted me in the sense where I was like, dude, I got so much different stuff to attain here mm. and so many different avenues and pathways to success. Mm. One of the things that kind of shook me from that job as an intern working for the publication company. So you had this weird moment that was going on where kids were leaving school, working for internet companies, you know, going to fashion. There was all these different paths that they were taking. And I was like, all right, this is my lane, this whole publication thing. Mm -hmm. Barnes & Noble was, at the time, taking over everything. All these little publication companies were just being eaten up. Mm. And I remember it was starting to happen at the company we were working for. And there was like this, this one week, everyone got laid off. Mm. Charles got laid off. It was, it was a weird time, because I'm yeah. like, all right, this is done. Right. I remember this young girl who would do like the internet side of what they did, and she was like, I'm good, because I'm going to this company, that it was like some tech company, yeah. and she was like, I'm going to be all right. This one old dude was like, I've been here for 20 fucking years, this is how you treat me, right. this is how this is how it goes down. Complete opposite reaction. Yeah, man, so it was like this weird just like visual of young and old mm -hmm. and it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with new york period and seeing like this new stuff go up yeah. and old stuff go down and that to me was like everything i was like that's new york mm -hmm. nothing's permanent mm -hmm. and everything's forever changing right be on your a game and it was like this weird moment that me and charles looked at each other and he was like i told you mm -hmm. you know like this is it right this is what you have to expect so mm -hmm. It was a powerful lesson, man. I think a lot of younger people, even now, they may think, okay, I'm sort of told by society and by the education system, like I have to go down this one track to get to success, or that there's only one way to get there. But from what you're saying and from your life experience, you were exposed to different people mm. that sort of opened your horizon of like, okay, there's more than one way to get it. There's more than one way to live your life and to enjoy what you do, mm -hmm. you know, and that's powerful. Like that's eye-opening for people to realize because you're not just limiting yourself to one form of success or one form of like, this is how I'm going to achieve in the world we're living in, or even just in New York. Yeah. You know, you're like, okay, I'm getting game from this person. I'm getting game from that person and I'm creating my own game from it. You know, yeah. I'm creating my own path. I'm not allowing someone else's journey to de define who I am, Yeah. you know? And in that, there were cold truths. Mm. You know, there were just like some moments where I was just like, damn, really? Yeah. That happened from Charles, that happened from Russ, his his mouth. Yeah. So I started working at Fat Farm. I actually went down to Florida trying to get a job so I could stay home with family. And I looked for work for a year from Key West all the way to Tallahassee. Mm -hmm. Nathan. 9-11 happened, <laughs> everything shut down. Yeah. And homeboy of mine called me up from New York who was at Fat Farm and was like, yo, come back up. I had $60 in my pocket, sleeping bag. Was on the floor of my best friend from junior high school. His, his basement apartment trying to figure it out I got a job in two weeks <laughs> I got a job in two weeks yeah. I was on my hustle yeah and from there it was just like cold truths like just from the moment I was on that cold floor of that basement in my sleeping bag traveling to Sayreville New Jersey two different trains um, New Jersey corridor then taking a taxi cab to work not knowing what was gonna happen next right there was just it was that was a cold reality like you don't know what's gonna happen next, mm. but work your ass off. One thing you can do is work your ass off. So when I went to the office down in Sayreville, New Jersey, and it was hard, man. It was like 
the art director was a 40, 50 year old Korean woman. And the head designer was like this 35 year old Korean girl. That was it. Mm-hmm. It was cubicles, it looked like an accounting office. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like that trendy hardware floors <laughs> with the big flat screen TV. It was none of that. So right, I'm like, right. man, what did I get myself into? Mm-hmm. And it was tough, man. It took me a couple of years to find my footing. I remember one time I got like one of my projects wrong. I was only doing t-shirts. Like when I was, before I got the job I got, I really only did t-shirts. Yeah. So I didn't know the breadth of fashion. Mm-hmm. And they dropped me in on the deep end. They're like, you're doing woven shirts, you're doing denim, you're doing polos. And I was like, mm-hmm. mm, okay, I'm gonna have to learn on the fly. Right. Another cold truth, like you're not gonna get this like, small little course on all this this other stuff that we do mm-hmm. and truth be told my portfolio was a little bit of a lie you know <laughs> right, right. at the time i only did t-shirts but my portfolio showed that i did you know tracks who's like range. Yeah, full <laughs> range of stuff my homeboy was like man you'll figure it out trust me yeah so and that's actually a good point because you got to think sometimes like especially when you're trying to like ascend and grow and get better and elevate in your career, like you're not gonna always be 100% prepared for what's gonna come. You actually rarely are. You rarely yeah, are, and so it's scary, man. Because yeah. I thought I would have time mm-hmm. to kind of. I thought the way they had it before at his company, certain people did graphics for labels, yeah. certain people did graphics for T-shirts. If you did wovens, you did wovens. Like it was fragmented. Yeah. You know, everyone had like their own little compartment that they functioned in. Right. So I thought I was going to kind of slide into the t-shirt graphic guy. Easy, yeah. Uh-uh. Nah. <laughs> yeah. So that was like another cold truth for me. So one day this guy, you know, he saw a project I was working on and he came in with the papers and he slammed them on the table. He was like, Courtney, what is this? These t-shirts don't go to this. I was just trying to do dope t-shirts. I was trying to right. do amazing graphics, which they were. To this day, I still believe they were great t-shirts. Right to him they weren't black enough mm. and he it literally came out of his mouth he was like you know it was a long speech that he gave me you know he was just like this is not our customer our customer not gonna like these these graphics that you got and you know I know what to do how you don't know what to do you don't study our customer I'm blacker than you mind you this is a 55 year old Korean man saying right. this to me right and yeah, it was, how did you take that? Like, how did you process that when he, when he told you that? I was highly insulted mm-hmm. when he first said it and shocked too. I was like, you gonna come out your mouth mm-hmm. right in front of me around all these people and say that? Right, right. But I was like, that's just the reality. Is, it's just the reality of the business. You know, people are gonna say some, some fuck shit, you know? And I'm not gonna sit here and just like cower away and be like, how you gonna say that to a black man? You know? <laughs> I didn't want him to see that. One, it affected me. Cause I'm like, fuck you. Two, I didn't want him to think that he could own that either. It was like this weird sort of curt way of saying, yeah, you could own that moment. Cool. I know you're not. Common sense, we all know that you're not. It's confirmed. But it was his way of like trying to make a dig to motivate me. I don't get that. That makes no sense. I get. I don't get that at all. One of the, he was, I guess, playing bad cop. Good cop came in, who's like the, the owner's son. He came in and he was like, yeah, Courtney, you know, like you really aren't our customer. So, you know, you have to start thinking like them and putting your, this is the weirdest shit. Try to say, think like a black person. The weirdest shit ever. I get 
what they were trying to say, but it's just to hear that frame of thinking right. coming out of a, another person's mouth. Right. And I knew my time was up from that company. Mm-hmm. The director, she had checked out this book from the library, mm-hmm. and it was about it was about um, the history of black men's fashion. And it had like Sidney Poitier on the cover. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I was like, cool, cool. Do your research, right? right? right. So, yeah, it came. She's like, I know what we're gonna do. At this point, they lost all trust in me being able to articulate what black culture <laughs> is and what black men should wear. <laughs> and she's like, I know what we should do. I know what we have to create. I was like, what is it? So she's like, come over here and look. So she was like, it's the new Jack. I was like, what's the new Jack? It's, look, this is the new Jack. They're saying right here, this is like a new jacket. She was understanding it as jacket. Right. This is the new jacket that black men... Mind you, this is a book that she checked out of a library that was probably published in the 70s or the years 80s. Ago. Right? Ago. right? So, she's like, yeah, this is like the new jacket and we should be doing this. So, I look and I see Wesley Snipes. I see like all... All like, you know, Keenan Ivy Wayne's. (laughs) I'm like, this is this um, movement that was going on called the New Jack Swing. And guys, this is how they were dressing. It was like no t-shirt. They had the vest on. So this isn't new. This is actually old. And I don't think the vest is something that young kids want to wear. You're wrong. You you don't know what you're talking about. I was like, all right, cool. Go ahead and make that. Go ahead and make that vest. And at the time, Andre 3000 was wearing crazy, crazy stuff. Stinkonia was out. She looked to him as like the new wave of what was next. Right. Jay-Z had just made woven shirts popular. So she was convinced that this dressy look, this this whole dressy look that was starting to pop, the new Jack was going to be the next thing. I was like, all right, you go ahead and do that. Yeah. I'm good. Yeah. My homeboy at the time that I had worked there and had left was at a Nietzsche. And I was like, man, you got to get me out of here. Because <laughs> I... There's no connectivity no more. Like it's mm-hmm. it's a wrap. Mm-hmm. And he got me a job at a Nietzsche and I was like free. Mm-hmm. I was like the first time when I felt like reconnected to that fat farm spirit that yeah. that sparked my interest in the fashion business. Yeah. <clears throat> and when I went there, it, it just got on and popping. Yeah. And there's a lesson in all of that, man. Like even in that experience of sort of dealing with people who, you know, were your superiors in the professional sense oh who ne- not necessarily knew what was really up culturally mm. you know like there's a lesson in that like sometimes we, we all have to go through that almost phase of almost like working with or for people who they don't un- necessarily understand the essence and the culture of what they're speaking it's a weird thing man you know so like it's something that we all go through experience it is not because <laughs> you gotta be humble yeah you kinda have to yeah. one respect the chain of command Mm -hmm. and you kind of see too that you bring youth in to spark their creativity and help the company stay young and youthful and tap into that youthful energy that's going on in whatever field that it is yeah but it's a weird thing because as kids we're learning and you can be like oh i want to create my own vision for this and that's what i was kind of doing it's not that i didn't know what these kids wanted right it's that i knew who i was back to what we were saying about the hip-hop i knew the music i listened to i knew the niche that i was just like my girlfriend wife at the wife now she liked gangster music that wasn't me 
So I had to kind of, I needed that director, that guidance to say, Courtney, I get that you like making these graphics. Mm -hmm. You know, like, just think of Black Star or Cop, I mean, their album art. It was like woodsy and kind of like red, black, and green, black yeah. nationalist kind of stuff. Yeah. She was like, our guy listens to different music. The 80% of the guy, she should have said that. Mm. She didn't give that direction to me. She didn't give that guidance to me. To me, as a director, directing talent, mm. directing that energy, and that she, she saw I had the skill set. She saw I had the, the tools to create awesome graphics, yeah. direct that energy. And I feel all too often in workplaces, you don't get proper direction. Mm. And those directors just don't, how, it's almost the opposite. It's almost misdirection. It's, yeah. like, it's like the older guard might actually try to discourage you from like expressing yourself. It's so like, weird. Yeah, Either yeah. sometimes they have their own vision. And or, they, or they feel threatened. They feel threatened. They don't yeah. want you to put that on because then higher ups are going to see that most of that's coming from a younger, younger person. It's no longer you. And they have to work harder now. Yeah. So it's a weird dichotomy of let me keep this person in their place. But let me take their ideas and maybe not even keep, bring them in these meetings. With it's so get many different. Get the credit for yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. For, for younger creatives who are listening to this, like mm -hmm. it'll be encouraging to hear because sometimes they see the success stories and they see you and your position and it's like, oh, wow, you just ended up here. But you also are, went through those same trials and tribulations and hardships mm -hmm. in order to get to where you're at, you know? So it's, it's a part of the journey. It's not like you can avoid it. Yeah. <laughs> And you, everyone's story is different. Everyone finds their their footing differently. Mm -hmm. I think I've been lucky to be where I am and kind of go through the things I went through. That Korean company that I worked for, although Russell licensed it to them, I learned some valuable lessons. Although there were some moments where I felt insulted. I felt like a fish out of water. I learned a great work ethic. Mm. I think had I been at that satellite office in New York and was with the partier, the, the guys that were partying and stuff, I wouldn't be where I am today. Mm. You wouldn't have that, that edge, that, 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 that hustle. Yeah. That The boss of that company, if he didn't see an employee doing what they were supposed to do, that could have been sweeping the floor. That could have been <laughs> plowing the parking lot. That could have been anything. He would do it himself. He wouldn't even tell them they were doing it wrong. He'd be like, you know what? I got this. And then when the boss started doing it, other employees, they were like, no, 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 no. We got it. He like, no, I got this. You didn't do it right the first time. I got this. And culturally, they have such a deep-rooted sense of honor and respect when it comes to that hierarchy thing. It taught me some valuable lessons. Yeah. You know, and I was just like, I get it. Yeah. You know? It's like you were able to to take the good with the bad and, and like take what you can from it. Got yeah. to work at seven o'clock in the morning. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Stayed till two o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. Which makes no sense to me to this day. <laughs> but they were vi I remember there was there were people crying on the floor, mm -hmm. printing out graphics and this one girl was like, this isn't life. I don't understand why we doing this. And I was like, I thrive off of hard work. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. I go back to what I was saying earlier. Like, mm. if I'm working hard, I know I can prove myself. Like, mm. I'll learn. So I think hard work for me helped me get to where I am. And also my character. Had I heard that man say to me, oh, I'm blacker than you. And I would have turned into a nigga. Yeah, flipped on him. And flipped on him. Who knows where I would be today? I probably would have got fired. 
he ain't have no HR. I can't go to HR and be like, hey, he called me. He said he's black to me. He questioned about blackness. You know, I was like, you know, suck it up. Be a man. Handle your job. Prove them wrong through your work. Make your moves outside of this, but proving them wrong. Transitioning from that phase of your life, like mm-hmm. you said, things just started to shift right after that. Like, yes. What was your next step? Next was working for great people. Iniche was a brand that I wore. The company to me was, when I saw it, when I went and had my first interview and I just saw all the kids that were there. Mm-hmm. I say kids, I don't mean like 12 year olds and stuff, but young 20 year olds. I was like, this makes sense. Creatively, when I went in, I wasn't stifled. They put me in a room, they gave me a, some research and they were like, all right, come up with some stuff. Right. I was like, all right. The dude I was working with, Greek guy, he was just cool, down to earth. He was casual. He was. I connected with him right away in the interview process. And I knew it was going to be an easy road for me creatively in a place where my creativity would thrive and I would be able to feed off of all the energy there. And I went at it. Yeah. I went at it. I went ham. You know, I saw where certain people were kind of like relaxed, just not on it with laser beam focused. And I was like, yo, okay. I see my, my entry point. And it wasn't competitive in a sense where, oh, I'm going to take this person's spot. I'm going to take this person's spot. But I knew that my work ethic was going to get me far in that place, you know. And not too long after, like, I went in just doing, like, graphic vignettes. I was supposed to just be doing, like, tees and stuff. You know, it was compartmentalized. Like, I knew it to be. Right. There were certain people doing, like... SMUs, certain people just doing wovens. There was like two guys just doing graphic t-shirts. There was a, you know, it was like, yeah. I know where I'm gonna fit in here and I'm gonna thrive, I'm gonna do good. Plus, I already have some other tools under my belt where I can, I learned how to do all that other stuff. So for me, it became sort of like, all right, I'm gonna start here and I'm gonna try to end up here. If I can become a senior designer, making a nice salary, I've won. And other things happened where I just became friends with some people, you know. Mm. It was a casual, casual environment. So the art director wasn't like the standoffish person. Right. I was real cool with him. You know, I was at his apartment, we would kick it. Creatively, it was just like everybody bouncing ideas off each other. Everything made sense. We listened yeah. to the same music. We ate <laughs> together. We went out to lunch, you know, right. eating pizza, eating different stuff. So we partied with each other. It was just like this organic culture that happened there Mm -hmm. that we thrived in for me it became really easy because not only was i having fun with them they saw that i was about my my job and about that action so there was never no complaints Mm -hmm. with oh you know can you get this done for me i was handing in stuff one time you know i was doing my job great Mm -hmm. and bringing stuff to the table i remember we had this one meeting where to me it was kind of one of those defining moments Yeah. where I knew my boss saw me as a different designer from the rest. Mm. And we were in a room similar to this and we were going over our research and development. I remember his boss was like, why don't you let some of the young cats say what they want to do for the collections and stuff. And he was like, all right, they don't never say nothing. I remember being in the office when he told them that. He was like, they don't never say nothing, but I'll let them you know, see if they'll voice their opinion. It was about seven of us, and he would always lead with his ideas for the collection for the season. And 
Then it was that moment. All right, anybody else? Any ideas? And it was crickets. It was just like, it was a little awkward too. It was like a real long pause. And there was, these were senior designers in there. I was kind of like a junior designer. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'm kind of respect. Right. You know, I already learned that. Let me let these guys speak first. Let them rock. And it was nothing. It was so awkward that I was just like, man, I'm going to just say something. And I just went off the top. I was like, yo, we should do this. We should do that. I like that idea that X came up with my design director. Maybe we should, if we do it this way, we can do it like this. Courtney, why don't you work on that idea? Dude, they just gave me something to work on on my own. Mm. The rest was history. Mm. From that moment, it gave me the, the confidence to keep coming up with my own ideas, yeah. to keep doing my own research. And I just built on that. And there was this, Liz Claiborne had bought the company out and they were making all these changes where people were getting fired. You know, if their job didn't really hold weight to them, they were just, I remember this lady was walking around with a clipboard just letting people go. And at the time, I was just like, you know what? Do you come up with your own ideas and show that you have a place here? A lot of people were kind of just waiting to get fired. A lot of people were feeling like this is our last day, so let's just enjoy, let's have fun. Right. You know, I was I was really dialed in. Like I had went AWOL. I had, I started, but I, I started doing things they didn't know I could do. Mm. I started illustrating. I started just doing crazy stuff and he was like Courtney I didn't know you do this I was like yeah yeah he's like how'd you come up with this idea where'd you get this idea from yo so look um we're thinking of starting another brand and are you down to come on with us I was like yeah he's like we don't have no name for it yet come up with some ideas and I think it was because he saw that I had the gumption the fortitude to just be like you know what I want to do me I want to still create I want to come up with my own ideas I want to express my own stuff where he felt like you know what I don't have to pull this guy along and feed him everything Mm -hmm. so I think that was a powerful lesson and a changing point for me in my career and really set me up to where I am right now honestly wow taking all of this newfound confidence in yourself and in mm-hmm. your ability how did you parlay that into your next step like what was the next phase for you i just stopped waiting on people man mm-hmm. i just stopped waiting on people to give me stuff i stopped waiting on people to tell me what to do i became my own boss yeah you know i was like no one's gonna hand you this position no one's gonna hand you this beautiful idea and be like oh because he got this idea right and he made it beautiful we should give him more no I started saying I want to create my own things and with that I started doing my own research start going out buying fabrics start going out bringing pictures back start I just started owning my own lane if that makes any sense and to me it just started becoming like a, a new journey and I enjoyed it and it's very similar to that story I was talking about earlier where I walked down these streets in New York City discovering new things and coming back I would just see how far I could go like how far are they gonna let me go with this idea before he's like you know what Courtney calm down you're starting to tread on my territory right now I need you just to do X Y and Z and then bring it to me and we're good they let me go you know and that 
being in those new spaces and those new areas helped because there was a little bit of fear, a little bit of doubt. Yeah. If it made sense, you know, some of that psychology that was worked on me at that Korean company always was kind of there, you know. Lingering, yeah. 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 Are you black enough? You know, mm-hmm. is this right for our customer? Is Does this make sense? Mm-hmm. You're always going to have that. What you're creating is always, there's always going to be doubt, especially if you have to work with a team of people. If you have to work with someone that's been in the industry longer than you have, you're always going to be a like, is he gonna like this? Is someone else gonna be like, yeah, this is this makes sense? And to this day, I still have that. Yeah. yeah. But because I put myself in those positions where I allowed the the fear to subside, the doubt to subside, and that became confidence because because it became good for business. It became great product. Yeah. Like facing your fear is one of the most like it's the best thing you can do actually because once you actually break that barrier, it's like, oh, okay, I can do this again. I can even go even further the next time. But it's time, different, you know? though, when it's your job. Because I experienced that in college. Yeah. You get critiqued all the time. You have people looking at your art, and they're like, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. It's cool, because you don't, it's not your livelihood. Right. When you're working, it's different. Because it's, it's, it's a said, check attached to it. It's a check, it's <laughs> money, it's your livelihood attached to it. Yeah. And... It's just a different beast, man. Mm. It's like there's a different commitment level to it because you got to make rent. Right. So if you're not creating stuff that people like, it means that you're not giving them money. You're not helping the business grow. Mm. And you go, and in fashion, you own, I think any creative field where you have to create a product that people have to like, you only get so long before they're like, you know what? You're just not a good fit for us. Mm. So we're going to have to part ways. That window is very, very small. Yeah. So it's... That fear is a real thing, you know, because who's to say that your ideas for who you're creating product for, let's say it's age 13, tweens to 24. I'm 38, knocking on 40. I don't listen to the music they listen to, per se, on a constant basis. I'm not looking at the same shows. So that fear, that doubt starts to change over time where where I, where I was young and creating stuff because I knew I was that guy mm-hmm. and I could create for people that look like me that listen to the music I listen to and start to grow and learn how to make product for other people too now I'm older and now there's a new animal involved where it's just like alright I gotta create for younger kids now mm-hmm. you know am I gonna still be able to create for them am I still gonna be able to create that useful look that they like and but that's growth you know yeah. it's just new challenges what led you to to work at staple what was your introduction to the staple family funny thing i knew about staple for a while when i first started looking for work i remember looking at different design firms in new york a life was one of them i knew about staple design um one of my job interviews i actually saw jeff have put his name mm. on the little dossier before going up mm-hmm. it was a record company and i was like damn that's jeff <laughs> i gotta compete with him i ain't gonna get this job mm-hmm. you know just crazy thinking like uh, he's probably going to get the same job i'm going for because it was a bunch of freelance stuff mm-hmm. so i knew of jeff i knew of what he did with his design firm and i respected it i was working at another company at the time that was a small streetwear company but we were connected with a sister, a mother company that had several brands. I guess at the time, Jeff was looking to partner up with a bigger company for distribution. I remember when I first saw rumors that we were about to get the brand, my boss at the time came to me with a couple of pages and he was showing me the pigeon. And he was like, you think this is a valid idea? You think this 
something we could do? Mm. You think this has legs? I was like, yeah, why not? You know, I've seen a lot of different things become successful. Why not? If you have creative, a creative mind, you can create anything. So then I started to see Jeff come around the office. We had an introduction. One night, you know, my boss was like, I want you to connect with Jeff. This is his number. So I didn't really know what the meeting was about. I think we met at this um, burger spot downtown. <laughs> he was just like, yeah, I just wanted me to meet you so we could kind of connect. And I really wanted to pick your brain about the company that he was about to partner up with. And mm-hmm. what is it like? From that night, we had some burgers. I had a beer. Jeff mm-hmm. doesn't drink. Walked around LES. We drove too. It was, it was a weird night. Right, right. You know, we were, we, talk, we touched on so many different subjects from the corporation to fashion to culture, um, our significant others. And it was supernatural, you know, like we kind of connected on a lot of stuff and it happened organically. And I think after that, he felt pretty good with making that that deal happen. I think at the end of that night, he was like, man, he's like, I'm glad I spoke to you because I feel real good about this. And I was honest, you know, I didn't hold any any punches. And I told him the ups and downs, the, the pros and the cons and things I liked, things I didn't like. Yeah. You know, and I think because of that authenticity and that truthfulness, we are where we are today. Wow. Yeah. Working within this brand mm-hmm. and just seeing it grow, what has your perspective been, your viewpoint? It's weird because I've touched so many different parts of this industry. Mm. I remember when I first saw Jeff's product when I was in college, when I used to go downtown and go to different places like North. Recon, Stackhouse, Prohibit, mm-hmm. um, Union, loving what these guys did. Yeah. Just thinking to myself, man, will I ever be able to touch this stuff? Now, seeing it kind of like that whole scene down there changing dramatically. Yeah. It now being, you know, Staples being, it's in Urban Outfitters. It's still international. I, I just, the growth is alarming, inspirational, because... Hip-hop is me, is sort of the same growth. To see the culture go from these small little boutique shops that kids would go in and out of with like sweaty t-shirts and just kind of hang out in front of, to now being in these different spaces where we're collaborating with huge companies. It's, it's a beautiful thing, but it's, it's so much at once because retail has changed so much yeah. in such a small space where it's gotten bigger but the money hasn't. Mm. Visibility of it is international. And with that, you would think, oh man. I'm sure there's people that look at Staples and think, oh, that must, it must be like $100 million, da-da-da-da-da. Mm. You know, it's, right. if you knew how hard it was now to create product on this level and be successful, it's, it's a lot of work. Back in the day, when Staples was sort of like a small boutique brand, and you have the Echoes and the Fat Farms and the, the Meccas and all these other brands. They were doing 40, 80, 100. They were making big money. And Staple right now is sort of like one of those new giants. Right. But it's like the small big. But we're not seeing the same money because retail has taken such a hit because of the internet. You know, when Staple first started and all these streetwear brands were around, the internet wasn't around. So you had to, yeah, you had to the fabric. touch it. You yeah. know, things could stay kind of under the radar for a longer time. 
And when the internet started to come around, I remember Digital Gravel was one of like the first retail, online retail spaces that had t-shirt brands that you can kind of like go to and look at all of this stuff all in one space. And I was like, ah, oh, they keep adding too much stuff. You know, they, they added like all like 100 brands before the list was like 10, 20. Yeah. And it was cool. But then when they added like 100, I was done. Yeah. And I would go back to the stores. Then you think of Digital Gravel and you have stores like Ecom, like Karma Loop. Right. Where they got their model from, you know, stores like Digital Gravel. Right. They didn't do so well. They were they did well for a while, and then it just boom, it was done. Yeah. So there's like this weird chaotic thing that's going on with retail where you have brands starting small, but they can't compete with brands that appear big like us. Mm-hmm. So people are like, oh, it's not a real brand. It's not like a full thing. You can't just have a t-shirt company no more. You got to come out with everything at once. And for young kids that want to get into this market, just doing t-shirts is hard. So for me, that's kind of sad because I think that's where all the energy is. Mm. And for kids that don't have that much money to start in this business, it's just a little bit more difficult for them yeah. than it was before. Yeah. It took a while and they had time to make mistakes and figure out what their brand should be and how it should look. Jeff had that opportunity to create Staple for a long time. And then he got the collaboration with Nike and the Pigeon was born from that. Staple was around way before that Pigeon came. Mm. You know, he was getting his cues from PNB and all these other people. Yeah. And was trying to do the graffiti and, you know, Futura had his own brand. Like, it was so much and everyone was grabbing at different things. So, now you have to be almost iconic yeah. out the you gate. You have to be a well-oiled machine. You can't make any mistakes. Especially because it's the internet. Everything is in front of your face at all times so like you don't have room to fail you don't yeah. you have to look like a brand on instagram you can't have an instagram page for your new t-shirt company and that avatar just be your face mm-hmm. it's got to be an icon what if you don't know what your logo is right, right. you know like what if all your designs suck <laughs> and you got a history of like people when they go to a new page they're going to want to see at least a certain amount of followers mm-hmm. a certain amount of posts You've got no room to grow and kind of like just mess up. Even just figure it out. You yeah. Know? Like it, and that's the thing. It's like there's a pressure on kids nowadays to almost be like almost present themselves in a light that they're not really in. Like then you got people just faking the funk altogether. Mm-hmm. Like they're not being true to themselves or mm-hmm. their their work or their brand. You mm-hmm. know, their brand may be based on like they may be an authentic brand, but they're projecting something that isn't really them. And then, if they are authentic, if they are creating something that's amazing, that not a lot of people know about, you're going to have a large visibility where bigger brands are looking at it and like, all right, this is nice. I like this. I'm going to take this. Pick from that, pick from this. My barber, he he has a um, sunglass brand. It's called Temples and Bridges. And he spoke on it. He's just starting out. And Tom Ford allegedly <laughs> has taken a few of their designs and right. he's like dude i can't do nothing about it i've gone up to the the offices we're trying to like do some stuff together but they've already taken like two of my designs so here you have a young dude who has a great idea mm-hmm. great designs not a lot of people know about it he's seeding it to the d-ways the fabulous he's doing all the right things yeah but then you have a another brand that's taking it so if the visibility 
on Tom Ford is greater than Temples and Bridges. They're gonna get the credit for that. Oh yeah, yeah. they're copying Tom Ford. That's the Tom Ford design. Yeah, man. they're whack. Yeah. But I was, and I told him, I was like, at least you have on Instagram is kind of post dated before, but mm-hmm. people don't see that. It's a new landscape and sort of what you were saying too in regards to New York as a city. Like I think it's, it's similar in a sense where like things are always changing, things are always evolving and as someone who's like a young designer or someone who has a brand, understanding that nothing is permanent. You have to be on your toes, you have to adapt, adjust, expect things to not always go the way you want them to, you Mm -hmm. know, and then just evolve and adapt. The business is difficult. Business for everyone is difficult because, and that's in every industry, fashion, tech, everything. You have to compete with so much on every level. From a fashion standpoint, before, we didn't have to compete with kids buying cell phones every year. That's a big ticket item. We didn't have to compete before with new releases of sneakers every other week. Every other day. I mean, yeah. in, in our industry, kids dress from the, the bottom up. Mm-hmm. They're going to spend their money on their sneakers first and then connect their outfit with it. Tops more, tees they'll go crazy on because it's $20, $30. And then maybe bottoms every now and then. Dudes wear the same pair of pants for like a year. You know, they're not thinking about switching that up. And we're creating that every season. So business is difficult because you have to compete with so many different industries. You have to compete with so many people trying to grab the customer's attention. It's difficult to compete with that because if their dollars are being spent on that new iPhone, the apps that they're buying, the sneakers that are coming out, they only have so much more disposable income that they're gonna spend on you. So that's me speaking from a big company. Yeah. You look at the smaller companies that are trying to have a foot, a voice in this, they getting drowned out. It's almost it's almost impossible to have a voice. Unless you connect on a Frank Ocean, he finds your t-shirt that says, stop talking about transgender, the, the one he wore at um, Panorama. How do you capitalize off that? Like, are people gonna, I went to the website, I looked at the t-shirts and I was like, that's cool. I like what they have. Are they going to be able to capitalize off this moment with Frank Ocean? What's going to be the next thing for them? And maybe there's a niche group of people out there that saw that t-shirt, that saw that brand, that said, I'm going to start rocking this brand. Great for them. They probably weren't even ready for that. And now they have to think of, okay, what's going to be our next thing? Unless you have that pure vision and you have that sticky factor right. that's going to keep them coming back and wanting to buy your product. Who's to say what's going to happen next? There's a lot of hits and misses. There's a lot of things that have to happen, you know, by luck, by chance. You know, you have to be touching so many different things with seeding products, your Instagram, your Facebook, your Snapchat. Like people feel like they need the whole breadth of media to appear legit when it's almost impossible. It's almost impossible. So I feel that what Jeff and what Staple has become as a brand from those small little humble beginnings downtown to where it is now is great but it's super rare mm. and i don't know if that can happen the same way it did before probably gonna be something new yeah, there's, something gonna completely be a, different. there's gonna be a new inception of like <clears throat> what it means to have a legit brand that grown from the ground like from the roots there's gonna be a new way to make that happen it's exciting because yeah. i know there are certain designers and people out there that might be into this that are looking at us and other guys like us, like, oh, I could do it that way. It's not gonna happen that way, yeah, yeah. you know? But it's good to have something to look to, to see how the brand has grown and the vast amount of product that we create 
not to say that anyone else has to do it you know like one of my favorite brands is off-white mm-hmm. and they're very specific in their product right. and it has a very specific look Focus. and it's not all over the place mm-hmm. you know and i respect that because yeah. very few people can create product that's not that different from their last season and mm-hmm. still be and it works relevant yeah yeah, yeah. And one thing, too, I just want to shout out Staple Design, the whole team here, and especially like Erica, because she was sort of the one who introduced me to you. And Shout out to Erica. Shout out to Erica. Mm-hmm. Erica, there's a ray of positive energy. She is. a light mm-hmm. to anyone she comes into contact with. I think just from meeting her and then her introducing to you and to Jeff as well, like I just see that you guys have a strong, positive core here. Yeah. And that comes across before any of the designs or any of the branding. It's like you as people speak you know louder you know that comes across that's 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 yeah. real nice of you to say man i'm, I'm happy to hear that so it, it kind of gives one of our our mantras and monikers a positive social contagion some authenticity and i would say that what you're saying is true mm-hmm. everyone i work with i enjoy working with them <laughs> it's a pleasure to come into the office there's no ego there's no there's no dicks you know it's people that when we sit at the table to create and bounce ideas off each other, there isn't that, oh, you know, that quietness, that awkwardness, yeah. or, oh, he gonna take my idea, or he gonna get the shine. Ego battles and stuff, yeah. I'm not gonna get the shine. No, for my design team, and for this team overall, we've created a culture that is about team. Mm. It's about creating an environment that holds everyone accountable, for the vision of the brand mm-hmm. and holds everyone accountable to their part. We're all on Slack every day. Yeah. We're all on broadcast messaging where we're always talking to each other. We're always chirping about ideas. What can we do? You know, let's do this. What about this? Have you guys seen this? It's a small collective of people yeah. that believe in the product, yeah. believe in making it better knowing that we have so much room to grow and get better because of the history right? and because of where we came from and knowing where it should go and how it should look when it gets there. Wow. Yeah. That's major. Yeah. So, yeah, I just really want to thank you and everyone here who's, you know, just made this possible. I feel like young designers, young entrepreneurs, young people in general who are listening to this will benefit a lot from what you just said. And just hearing your story, it means a lot to me just to even hear the steps that you've taken to get to where you're at. Yeah. You know, and, and the story continues as well. It's so. a long road. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again, man. Really appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having me, man. This was fun. For sure. So so how can people find you, um, your work, and you can't find me personally. Nice. <laughs> you can't find me personally, but you can find our product, staplepigeon.com, um, on Instagram. It's Staple Pigeon, and pretty much Staple Pigeon is all of our social media. If you add Staple Pigeon for Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, you will find us. And through that product, you will find me. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Open Canvas. This has been a great episode, enlightening episode with Courtney Walker. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, man. <laughs> Appreciate it. To find out more about The Open Canvas, hit up our website, theopencanvas.com. Also stay tuned to our Instagram, at The Open Canvas. And for any questions or inquiries, hit up my email, taj, T-A-J, dot, opencanvas, at gmail.com. 
This has been the Open Canvas, produced by Taj Alexander.